1947, a book came out entitled The Age of Anxiety. It was a book that was written uh, sort of as poetry, telling of a man's quest to find his identity in an ever-shifting culture and an increasingly industrialized, industrialized society. That was 1947. Those were the good days, right? The happy days. It was the same year that uh, the first instant camera came out, the Polaroid, <laughs> That Jackie Robinson took the field, that the sound barrier was broken. And, and to be sure, there were a lot of anxious things going on at the time. I mean, after all, Stephen King was born September 21st, 1947, uh, which led to uh, a killer clown and an entire generation living in anxiety of circuses and sewage drains. Um, But if the 1940s and 1950s were the age of anxiety, then what do you call today? I mean, I I won't go into all the research and data, and I don't think that I need to, when I say that more Americans today are living with higher levels of anxiety and fear and worry and depression than ever before. Or at least the data shows that that we're at least a little bit more open and honest about it. And so my question is, you know, what what does all of that do to the soul? Because I believe that our soul is important and, I mean, the things that we get worried about, stressed out about, anxious over, all all of that is, is usually pretty important as well. And so what happens when those two collide? What, what happens to our soul? And so here's a theory that I have. The human beings have both a blessing and a curse. A blessing and a curse to extend ourselves into the future. That we have the ability to extend ourselves into tomorrow. That no other creature that God has created has the ability to do that. I mean, the birds of the air don't worry about getting the worm the next day and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. They just live for today and they sing a song of the day. The flowers of the field don't worry if the sun is going to come up tomorrow. They just bet their bottom dollar that the sun will come up tomorrow. Jesus spoke of this. He said, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. They, they're not anxious. They're not worried about what they'll eat or what they'll wear. So why are you? Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Okay. Easier said than done, <laughs> Jesus, right? I mean, honestly, just show of hands, how many of you all feel a little stressed? I mean, maybe not in this moment, but, but throughout the week, show of hands, how many of you all feel a little stressed, a little anxious, right? A little worried about something, yeah? It's dark in here, but I think that's most of you. Got some double hands in the back, so <laughs> praying for you, brother. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but, but um, you know, I have that too. I, I worry about myself. I worry about my family. I worry about my friends. I worry about the church. I worry about uh, the denomination. I worry about the church as a whole in an increasingly secularized world. I worry about you all. You all stress me out. I mean, man. I mean, I'm partially kidding on that, but really. 
Uh, it, it's 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 stressing me out as as because I love you all so much. That's why we'll go with that. Uh, <clears throat> but you know, we we tend to worry about the things that we care about the most, and particularly we care about the future of those things that we care about the most. I mean, how many parents just worry about the future of your kids, right? And so this is where we differ from birds of the air, the flowers of the field, is that that we worry about the future, particularly about the future of things that we care about the most. And so there's a famous passage of scripture that you may have heard before or just a paraphrase of it. It's shown up in movies and other times. It says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. And the passage goes on and on. There's a time for this and a time for that, a time for this and a time for that, until it gets down to verse 10. And this is what it says. It says, I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race, that God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has set eternity in the human heart. Now, why would God go and do such a thing? I mean, wouldn't it wouldn't life just be so much easier if we were like the birds of the air, the flowers of the field? We didn't care about tomorrow. We didn't even think that tomorrow was even a thing to happen. Why would God do such a thing and then come along through Jesus and tell us, be like that. Don't worry about tomorrow. I mean, we all know how burdensome this idea into the future can be, how it creates some anxiety within us when we start thinking about the future and how quickly we are to catastrophize it and think that the apocalypse is coming. But there's also a great blessing in this as well. Then notice that it doesn't say that God set death in the human heart. It doesn't say that God set finality in the human heart, that God didn't set failure and finitude in the human heart, that God set eternity in the human heart. The human beings have this instinct that the end is not the end, that there's life beyond the grave. And we talk about this as eternity. And, you know, eternity is not just some pie in the sky kind of thing. And the goal of the Christian life is not just to go to heaven when you die. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. That's a good promise that we're given. But that's not the entirety of the promise. You see, eternal life, eternal life begins here and now. The eternal life is, is knowing that there is something beyond this life and that knowing that there is something beyond this life causes you to live this life very differently. That you don't have to live this life out of fear. You don't have to live this life out of pain, but you can live it out of joy. You don't have to live this life out of hurt, but out of forgiveness. You don't have to live this life out of, out of scarcity, but you can live it out of abundance. That eternal life is, this, is living this life with that joyful hope. The future is nothing to fear for those who have faith. So there's an old story 
Um, it's, you may have heard it before, uh, but it's an old story of a doctor who's going around and doing uh, visits to people's homes, which just lets you know how old this story is. So he's in his, uh, his horse and his carriage, and he's making rounds to see all of his patients. And wherever he goes, he takes his dog with him. And so he shows up to uh, this old man's house and uh, leaves his dog on the porch and goes inside to meet this man who's on his deathbed and he's dying. And the man lying there says, Doc, I, I know this is the end, but I'm just so afraid. What's, what's on the other side? And the doctor pauses for a moment he thinks and then he hears his dog scratching at the door and whining and the doctor says you know what can can you hear that you hear my dog out there scratching at your front door whining to come in the dog has never been here before he doesn't know that this is your house he, he's he's never been inside that the only thing that the dog knows is that his master is inside. And so it must be okay. And the dog knows that wherever his master is, there he wants to be too. That's what heaven is like. That God has set eternity in the human heart. And eternal life is living this life, knowing that there is something beyond this life. And that when you live this life, knowing that there is something beyond this life, you end up living this life very differently. That our souls long, need a future. But there's something that happens along life's path. There's something that kind of disrupts it. And so it could be an illness, diagnosis, a divorce, a death, a loss of a job, a loss of a child, something that causes us to ask, why? Why God? Why why me? Why did this happen? Why now? Why God? And that why question, it's not really a question of our mind, I mean, honestly, we're, we're usually not trying to seek a rational, intelligible answer. That really, it's, it's a question that's stirred up from the depths of our souls. Why? That all of a sudden we're, we're thrown into this place where we're disintegrated between our will, our mind, our body, our soul, and our soul cries out, why? It's a question that I deal with a lot. I wrestle with a lot. In the few years of ministry, I've had quite a few people who have come to me with their why questions. And, and they come to me faithfully because something just tragic has happened. Why did I get this diagnosis? Why, why did I lose my child? And there's really no answer that I can give. And you know, oftentimes they know the answer. We, we know the answer. It was a drunk driver who happened to be on that road at that night. That it was 
the faulty mutation of cells that metastasized and took over, your doctors explain to you what has gone on. It's genetic. The company had to downsize because they weren't meeting their bottom line with the changing market and changing technology. And, you know, we can, we can often explain the events surrounding it, but we can't explain the reasoning. And what we really want an explanation for is we really want an explanation for the reason. But I'll often ask people in those moments, and I'll say, can you imagine an answer that I could give you that would take away your pain right now? I mean, could you imagine an answer that I could give you that would take away your pain right now? Because if there was one, I would give it to you. But I don't think that there's anything, any answer that I could give that could take away your pain. And there's a lot that I can say in the negative. I mean, I I say, this isn't God's desire. It's it's not God's will for a seven-year-old to have cancer. This isn't part of some greater purpose. This isn't because of something that you've done. This, this isn't your fault. But yet we still struggle with saying anything positive that would make the pain go away and that would set our minds at ease. And so Jesus uh, wrestled with this why question. He kind of brought it on himself. Let me take you there. This is uh, John 16. Jesus says, In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me because I am going to the Father. See, Jesus had just explained to them that he would have to face the cross and that he would die. He would be placed in a grave. Then three days, he would rise from the grave, and he would be with them for a little while, but then he would ascend back to the Father and give them his Holy Spirit, but a promise that he was coming back. But the disciples, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. You ever felt that way before? You ever look at the red letters of the Bible and you go, I have no clue what this man is talking about right now. But the good thing is that Jesus is pretty keen to our naive uh, questioning. And so he turns to them and says, uh, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. You, You got a question? Go ahead. Raise your hand. Go ahead and ask me. I'm right here. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn into joy. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. So essentially, Jesus, what you're telling me is that things are just going to get worse. (laughs) That not only are you going to leave us, Jesus, which, by the way, don't you remember that we left everything to come and follow you? So not only are you going to leave us, Jesus, but we're going to weep while everyone around us rejoices. But you're telling me not to worry and not to grieve because my grief is going to turn into joy. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, got it. Yep. Hey, Jesus, could you say that same thing just differently? Maybe give me an example. Jesus said, a woman giving birth to a child has pain. 
because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. A woman giving birth has pain, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish. Ladies, can I get an amen? I heard silence, mostly, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never given birth before, uh, but I was in the room for two of them, and, uh, and I'm not forgetting it. Uh, my back, my hand still remembers the pain from that, right? Amen. <laughs> We're both in trouble after this. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, I, I actually fact-checked Jesus here, and so I asked my wife, I said, hey, do you still remember the pain of childbirth? And I can't tell you what she said back to me, but essentially the answer is yes, okay? A resounding Yes. But here's Jesus' point. It's not that the woman can't recall the pain. His point is that the joy of giving life far outweighs the pain of giving birth. That you may not be able to forget the pain. You may not be able to forget the event. You, You may not be able to forget what has happened in the past. And you can bring that pain back to memory But when there is joy that comes after it, the pain just stays in the past. It's not about finding joy in the event. It's about finding joy in the outcome of the event. And and according to Jesus here, he's saying there is a guaranteed outcome to this event that I'm talking about. And so the really interesting thing that Jesus is doing here is that he's giving us purpose in our pain. And let me, let me make sure that you heard that right, that Jesus is giving us purpose in our pain. He's not giving us a purpose for our pain. He doesn't go into a whole bunch of detail about what happens to the body physically when a woman is giving birth, and that's the reason for all of this pain. He's not giving us a purpose for our pain. He's telling us there is a purpose in your pain that I want you to discover. He's reminding us of our purpose in the midst of it all. And that purpose is joy. That joy that, that our purpose, why God created us, why God set eternity in the human heart is for joy. That no matter what the event is, that's the purpose. That's why God has placed eternity in the human heart. It's for joy. And that means that joy, joy isn't a feeling. That joy is really just a way of looking at things. That, that joy is a perspective. And that really helps me because, you know, sometimes we, we try to get so busy chasing after a feeling, but a feeling will never sustain us and will never bring us into the future. Feelings are fleeting. But joy is something deeper than that. That joy is is not just the absence of pain or or the presence of something spectacular. That joy is is a focus before it's ever a feeling. That joy is a focus on a preferred future, a better future, a future where there is always new life. 
and it begins as a focus of our souls before it ever makes its inception into our hearts as a feeling. And some of y'all just probably need to write that down, go home, think about it a little bit, because we become so busy trying to find joy and choose joy in the day. And, and you know, that, that's, all, that's all fine, but, but joy, what I'm saying is joy is not really something to be found, but it's something to be focused on first. And when you focus on it, you'll often find that you have actually found it. Does that make sense? That now you can find joy when you focus on it. You know, we say you can find joy in the little things of life. We've all heard that, and that, that's true. But there's something, there's something greater out there. There's something bigger out there that we're missing out on if all we focus on is the joy in just the little things of the present. Not to mention what happens when our little moments of joy in the present become less and less frequent. That's why the soul needs a future. The soul longs for something that's just beyond the present. And the thing that always draws the soul to it like a magnet is joy. That when God set eternity in our hearts, it was to help us endure the pain of the present. Because we have a perspective now of the future. And that perspective of the future is colored by joy not fear, not worry, not despair, but joy. That's the perspective that's been set in our hearts. So Jesus started off this whole thing by saying, in a little while, in a little while, there will be pain, but then your pain will turn to joy, and no one will be able to take that away. So let me, let me summarize it for you. That there will be pain, and there will be great joy. But in the end, joy will win the day. And so if joy has not won yet, it's not the end. It's not the end of the day. That our Christian story always ends with joy, and that's what our souls long for. Christ is crucified. The pain is overwhelming. There are no Christians. There were no believers on the day that Jesus died. They all left him. They all abandoned him. They all had pain and grief in their hearts. But this is not the end. Jesus rised from the dead, and the joy is overwhelming. That's the story. That's the conclusion. That's the punchline. That's the preferred future. That's the ending of it all. And it goes on. It says, you know, in the early church, Jesus' followers, those who were eyewitnesses to this, his followers were beaten and persecuted, and yet they rejoiced. They were thrown into prison, and they sang songs down in the prison cells. They lived in poverty, and yet they also gave extravagantly. Turns out Jesus was right, that no one could take away their joy. So let me, let me go back to the passage of Scripture. Because what Jesus says next is really hard for us to believe. That, that Jesus makes a promise that I, I think it's just so hard for us to believe. And it has to do with our tendency to ask questions. 
I mean, you know the disciples. They were always pestering Jesus with all of these questions. Hey, Jesus, can I sit at your right hand? Hey, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive this guy? Hey, Jesus, what did that parable mean? Hey, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Hey, Jesus, what do you mean when you say, in a little while? And underneath all of those questions is this underlining question of the human soul, why? Why, Jesus? We all have that one great question lurking within us. Hey, Jesus, why Why does a little girl have cancer? Why do children go hungry? Why do people keep dying of starvation? Why do wars keep breaking out? Why do people treat other people so unkindly just because they don't look or act like them? Why is my marriage falling apart? And Jesus said, one day, in a little while, I'll be gone. And things won't be quite right. You'll see terrible things. Illness, infidelity, deceit, corruption, racism, sexism, all the isms. And then one day, in a little while, and it might seem like a long while to you, but in eternity, it's just a little while. In a little while, I'm coming back. And joy will win the day. That it's not the end until there's joy. And then he ends with this. He said, in that day, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. In that day, you won't need to ask me anything. That in, in a little while, you won't need to ask why. You won't have to ask me any more questions. Because your joy, your joy will be complete. Perfect, whole, beautiful. That's a promise for us that's so good, sometimes it's hard for us to believe. But there will come a time where we won't have to ask anything. But you know, that's, that's my hope. <laughs> because I still got a whole lot of questions. But in the midst of all my questions, there's still my faith. This hope that's an anchor for my soul, firm and secure, that no matter what the events, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the pain, there's an anchor for my soul that, that I know that one day, maybe not today, but, but one day, in a little while, my joy will be complete. And yeah, that might sound like pie in the sky. That might sound like heavenly things out there. That might sound like opium for the masses. But God has set eternity in the human hearts. And eternal life is living this life knowing that there is something beyond this life. And living this life knowing that there's something beyond this life changes the way that we live this life. And so... I not only believe that one day my joy will be complete, 
but I'm counting on it. And I'm living for it. And so what I want to ask us to do is that, you know, we might even have all of our questions kind of stirring around in our hearts and in our souls this morning. Maybe you've asked that great question before, why, why, why? And, you know, God hears that. God honors that. That's an act of faithfulness to take that question to God, I believe. But I also want to encourage us this morning as an act of faith to find that hope, to listen to that longing of our soul, to to feel that eternity that God has set in our hearts. And so I want to ask us if if we would stand and uh, sing this closing song together as kind of like an affirmation of our faith, that we believe in this, that we give God this, that we say yes, that in the end joy does win.